1: got a special treat on today's Song of the Soul. My guest is Peter Alsop, and we're doing this show in a special format this week, because Peter is so rich in terms of the dozens of recordings he's made over the past few decades. We're going to do his Song of the Soul in two installations, and you're listening to part one of Peter Alsop's Song of the Soul. So you'll tune in again next week to hear... The second part of Peter Alsop's Song of the Soul. If you haven't made Peter's acquaintance before, you're in for a special treat. Peter is funny, he's serious, and his music is a vital part of the work he does in this world. He's an educational psychologist, he writes great songs for kids, he's a humorist, he's a motivational speaker, he's won a number of Best Children's Album Awards. He's a father, and he's today's guest for Song of the Soul. Peter is joining us today from his home in Topanga, California, where he lives with his actress wife, Ellen Gere. I'm also told that his two adult daughters, who've been featured in many of Peter's songs, also have homes on the property, a financial necessity and happy side effect, as Peter told me, of having children who are artists. Welcome, Peter, to Song of the Soul.
2: Thanks, Nice to be here.
1: Peter, how old are your daughters, and how long have they been living with you?
2: Well, they've been living with me since they were born, and they're 25 and 29.
1: But I think you've got even more people than that sharing the property, don't you?
2: Yep. My wife Ellen has a son, Ian Flanders, and he married a woman named Abby, who's now Abby Flanders, and they have a two-year-old, Liam, and they live downstairs in a converted three-car garage, actually. And the girls have their boyfriends, and they're living here, too. So we got a bunch of adults knocking around. We all get along really well. And uh, they're not really homes on the property. They're more like 8-by-12 tough sheds that the girls have fixed up and sort of made up uh, <laughs> their own space. But it's wonderful having them around.
1: Does this make you a patriarch? Well, if it were a patriarchal family, it would. <laughs> <laughs>
2: not the way it is, huh? No, I don't think so. It's um, I'm the old guy, and so I'm, you know, but it's interesting because in the family I grew up in, my dad was always in charge of stuff, and it just didn't work out that way. I mean, when we were growing up and there were the three kids, and Ellen and I, it was like, I got one vote. That was it. I'm going, wait a minute. I'm supposed to have more than one vote. I'm the dad, you know, but it didn't work that way.
1: <laughs> ah, well. Well, let's start talking about your music, Peter. When did you start performing music?
2: Oh goodness, I think it was church choir. I was in the choir, and I was—I wasn't ever a soloist or anything. I mean, I, would, I don't think I even stayed in pitch very well. But it was sort of more of a social activity. And I remember I did get an award for perfect attendance. But other than that, it wasn't much more about the music. As a songwriter in high school, I wanted to be in a rock and roll band. Just saw these girls screaming at these guys with the guitars. I said, "That's the job I want up there."
1: if you were into rock and roll, who were your favorites? Who were the people you were trying to emulate?
2: You know, the Beatles were just coming out at that point. I mean, this was way back when. And, uh, (laughs) you know, whoever else was, was, you know, I liked rhythm and blues a lot, R&B. And so my early bands had a kind of a mix of kind of psychedelic music and Detroit sound. It was really interesting.
3: Oh,
1: you were a Motown fan?
2: Motown, yeah. we, we, We liked that
1: of the things that I've really enjoyed about your music. You'll have a song that sounds like reggae here, and then one that sounds country-western, and then another one that sounds like a Glenn Miller song, uh, and just all over the map, and that's really fun thing with each of your albums. You mentioned that you were in a church choir when you were young. What kind of church upbringing did you have?
2: It was one of the things, I think my dad had no religious background whatsoever, and my mom had been a Christian scientist, and so they decided they sort of,
1: Sounds like you're not congregational anymore. It sounds like that kind of petered out. Uh, not to pun on your name or anything.
2: I was going to say, like, I, I usually like a different phrase from people <laughs> The spirituality in my life these days has come from 12-step programs. It's different. It's wider and more expansive. And.
1: While you have plenty of serious, really very moving songs that you've created, one of the superabundant features of your music is the humor. Some might use words like impishness, rascality, if that's a word, or even shamelessness to describe your humorous songs. Were you a difficult, insubordinate child?
2: Well, it all depends whose perspective you're looking at it from. You know, if you're looking for my parents, I I mean, I think they liked me, but I was, my dad is real controlling. So I was the kid that was always testing that limit. You know, he'd say, hey, I told you not to walk on the grass. And I go, no, I'm not walking on the grass, Dad. I'm walking right on the edge of the grass. You know? So it's a little passive-aggressive stuff. When you run into someone who's very huge in your life, whether it's a, a parent or whether it's an organization or a government, it tends to bring out, you know, when someone plays policeman, you can't help it but sort of play. You know, you know, uh, fellow jaywalker, or, yeah, a jaywalker, something, you know. It's just in our nature, I think, to say, Well, those are the rules, and you're going to really enforce them. Then I'm going to walk right along the edge of the rules if I can, you know, see how close I can get. <laughs> and people like that, I think, in the kids' songs because I'm not, it's not mean, it's something that people, a little spirit inside of us, will feel like, Well, I probably shouldn't do that. Well, look, he's doing that, hmm, you know, and people get some voyeuristic enjoyment out of that. So a lot of my little kids' songs are about. Looking at the world from the kid's point of view, which is why kids like it so much. And I try to put in the song stuff so that the parents can kind of go, "Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that." Yeah, or I remember when that used to be like that for me, and I said I'd never do what I'm doing now as the parent. You know.
1: Hmm. Well, let's launch into the songs that you selected for your song of the soul, Peter. Which was the first one that you picked out?
2: I mean, you said you're going to. About songs of the soul, I was been thinking about some of the songs that have been most meaningful for me and concepts. And I remember when I was like seven or eight years old, as a little boy in our neighborhood had died, and it's like I grew up on a on a sort of a farm kind of a. There was we had sheep and like fifty sheep and chickens and a horse and stuff like that. It wasn't really a working farm; it was just a centralized farm in Connecticut. So I've been around death, but it just really hadn't impacted me. Like, you know, wow, this is a kid I know, and he died. And so I think about death a lot, and I think that that's really an important piece for me because I think that death is something that, once you're aware that you only have a limited amount of time on the planet, how we use our time is really important. And to do stuff that's mean-spirited or frivolous,
1: a question that you actually got from your daughters when they were growing up?
2: No, actually there's a bunch of things that were really concrete questions that I turned into songs, but this one wasn't. This one was more realizing. One of the Halloween But that was just a clear evidence of my doing that with my children. That was my issue. I could have found out how they were feeling or created a place instead of pushing my agenda with them so much. You know, An awful lot of my songs, I think, are kind of things I've learned as a parent and how do you pass that on to other parents? Well.
1: listen to the song let's listen to where will i go and it's by our guest for today's song of the soul peter alsop
4: i'm glad that i can ask you about things that i don't know like when my body dies i wonder where will i go oh where will i go when i'm dead and gone where will i go when i die if my body's down in a hole in the ground Will I fly up in the sky? Oh, where will I go when I die?
3: Dead goldfish go down the toilet
0: bowl Dead mice go out in the trash My sick cat disappeared at the vets And Grandma came home in a pot full of ashes
4: Will I be a ghost in a haunted house? Will I scare kids when I say boo?
3: <sighs> will my foot hurt when I kick the butt? Oh, where will I go when I'm dead and gone?
4: Where will I go when I die?
3: If my body's turned into smoke and burn, will I make a tear in your eye? Oh, where will I
4: go when I die? Hey, maybe you could dress me up and keep me around. Sit me in your kitchen chair. If you got lonely and you needed someone Well, I'd be right there Or you could hang me out in the sun on your patio I'd dry hard as a stone And the wind would make music on me like a radio You could dance to my rattling bones Oh, where will I go when I'm dead and
0: gone? Where will I go when I die? If my body gives some parts to save kids Will I disappear like a sigh? Oh, where will I go? Some folks say we go up to heaven where no one's cold or scared. I bet no one's lonely in heaven. They only let friendly people in there. My questions make some people nervous.
1: What kind of beliefs about death were you raised with, Peter? What did you get from your family about that?
2: Other than being on the farm and seeing animals die, there wasn't a lot of discussion about that. And I think that that's one of the things that we see is that when parents don't really know what to say, they don't bring it up and openly discuss it. When my grandparents died, we were told that they died, my mom's mother and father, but all of a sudden I found out later there had been a funeral that I wasn't even invited to. And that wasn't about me. I wanted to go and see what everybody else was doing. and But it was about my parents not knowing how to deal with all of that. So it was their stuff, not mine. But it did create something where I went, gee, how come I couldn't go? I mean, aren't I part of the family? Couldn't I? Have, how awful is it, you know? It just makes stuff bigger
1: and scarier sometimes. You know, Peter, I've been a fan of yours since the first time I heard you, which was back in 1980. And your early songs were targeted not so much at a children's market, but as a general adult market. I think that your first album included the next song that you've chosen for your Song of the Soul, a song called Strength. How does this song fit in your Song of the Soul?
2: Well, Strength is an interesting song because it really took a look at my relationship with my dad and my mom and what the nature of being a strong person is. My father's strength was one of picking the kids up and carrying them around and just being assertive and going out in the world and doing things. And my mom's was a gentle strength about caring and always showing up and being responsible and dependable in that way. And then they got divorced.
1: sounds to me like uh, like maybe truth is one of your spiritual values one of the values that is part of the fundamental underlayment of your seeing and evaluating things i think some people who have different spiritual underlayment would instead say you should go with what wins you know what achieves what gives you the return that you want so where is this coming from this ideal that you have to do the true thing
2: One is the word truth is really bandied about a lot. It's like, you know, I'm telling the truth in my songs. Well, the only truth I really have is my own truth, is what I see in the world. And I can say, this is true for me right now. And you may tell me something, and all of a sudden, that will change. So just be clear about the word truth, because some people want to tell you their truth, and you need to believe their truth, too. But it might not be your truth, which is what brings up the second part of this, which has to do with one sense of self, I think. That if I'm going to be living in some way, i well.
1: here's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek question. Who's stronger, you or Ellen?
2: I think that... uh...
1: listen to the song. It's called Strength, and it's a song that Peter wrote in the early to mid-70s, and it appears on his first album called Peter Alsop.
5: Strength is a quality hard to define. For it comes in a number of ways. And it takes different shapes in the people we love. Sometimes it's an ember, sometimes it's a blaze. My father could carry my brothers and me On his back and we'd laugh till we cried And he made us play straight when we got off the track But he'd never say much of what he felt inside His business came first and we all understood Cause he carried his family well And he'd always explain And his reasons were good And his logic rang clear As the toll of a bell Strength is a quality hard to define For it comes in a number of ways And it takes different shapes In the people we love Sometimes it's an ember, sometimes it's a blaze My mother did mother work for most of her life We depended on her to get by She'd sing in the kitchen to the dishes at night and Sleep with a smile and love in her eyes Yes, young love is strong love as long as it stays When you wake up, your dreams just won't shine Now her African violets take up her days As she patiently waits For the doorbell to chime Strength is a quality hard to define For it comes in a number of ways And it takes different shapes in the people we love Sometimes it's an ember, sometimes it's a blaze Father got married again, I've been told Strength of character can't keep him warm And it's hard for my mother to break from her mold So she's built her own house Where she's safe from the storms At night when the stars become crystal cold lights And my life gets so clear I can't sleep Deep in my mirror I gaze at the sights And I see the lion and I see the sheep Strength is a quality hard to define For it comes in a number of ways And it takes different shapes in the people we love Sometimes it's an ember Sometimes it's a blaze
1: That song is by my guest for today's Song of the Soul. My guest is Peter Alsop, the song was Strength, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet, here on Song of the Soul, one of the Northern Spirit Radio programs that I produce. Peter, were you involved in men's movement organizations and thinking on the way through those years, the 70s into the 80s? Yeah,
2: my first album that I did that dealt primarily with men's issues was called Sleep at the Helm, came out in 1976, they wrote that Mostly from little flashes of insight I had into my own personal growth from living with my feminist girlfriend at that time, and then I found out about that there is a national organization of changing men. I think the organization is now called NOMAS, it's a national organization of men against sexism, and it was a feminist men's group. There was a big conference at UCLA that been their fifth. I didn't even know these guys existed, and I went there. A lot of men were looking at our relationships with our fathers and with our children, with our wives, with our Yeah.
1: Feel free to quote or ignore the feedback that you received from your own daughters. say is that a baby needs a parent, a parent like you, who can be strong in many different ways and spend time with them. So let's listen to your song, Baby Needs a Parent. It's by our guest for today's Song of the Soul, Peter Alsop. Baby don't need no silver spoon, don't
3: need no rub-a-dub-dub. It's a parent that a baby needs a
4: parent who can give that baby some love. Now every baby's got one mama, Mama. and every baby's got one pop. pop. These days some babies live with one or the other cause the parents get all split up. Now if a baby's only got one person to guide that baby along, well, you might think that's a one-sided baby, but maybe you might be wrong, though. Everybody says that a baby girl needs to learn a woman's gentle touch. And a boy needs a man to raise him and to show him how to be tough. You know a baby can grow up gentle when a gentle daddy takes good care. And a baby can't grow up strong and brave when a strong brave mama is there.
5: Mm-mm. The
4: baby don't need no silver spoon, don't need no rubber dub dub. Well, it's apparent that a baby needs a parent who can give that baby some love. Now, every baby's got to have at least one person who can be both gentle and strong. Well if the mama and the daddy can both do that, then that baby's never gonna go wrong. Well the baby don't need no silver spoon, it don't need no rub dub dub. Well it's a parent that a baby needs a parent who can give that baby
3: some love.
1: You know, Peter, in terms of thinking about parent and love and you know what a baby needs is love and thinking about it in terms of a song of the soul and spirituality and that kind of thing i was thinking about the role of god as parent and i don't want to get all theological on you but maybe i'll try just a little bit i assume you know that the word that jesus is quoted in the bible as using for father was more akin to daddy And certainly God is mostly referred to as father and as male in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, at least the ones that were canonized. There are books that were not included in the Bible that were written back then, which refer to kind of a mother-father God. How did you or do you react to the parental qualities of God or however you experienced that?
2: You know, in terms of uh, there being a father there's God or the spirit being a father having gender that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I tend to find my beliefs about the spiritual part of our humanness it's the part where we say, "I don't know what to do with this I don't understand it, and every human runs into that at some point or other, and that's what our human spirituality is what do you do with it when you run into questions and things you go, "I have no idea, I don't understand how this works." A lot of the indigenous peoples had thought of the sun as a father and the moon as a mother. And, you know, we all seem to come into life with a father and mother aspects. There's also, when you're little and mothers and fathers are bigger than you, there's a power differential, too, that has to do with those huge, powerful, godlike beings are feeding me and taking care of me or, or not. But I feel powerless compared to them in many ways. And so that model projected onto a spirituality kind of a grid, I don't think it needs to be like that. I think it has to do with the way people think of their parenting. And I've told my children since they were little, I'll always be your dad, but at some point I'm going to stop parenting you. I'm a big fan of using verbs instead of nouns. I am your father, yes, but that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When you get to be older, I want to be friends with you. And if we're going to have a friendship, how we treat each other is really important and what we share and stuff like that. When you're born, I'm 100% in charge of how you behave and what you do. But I'm going to be turning that over to you. That's my job as a parent to turn over that control of your life. And hopefully, by the time you're 16 or 17 or 18, you're doing 100% of this, and I'll be there to support you and give you advice. But you're going to have to make those choices yourself. That's the only way we're going to be able to have an equitable kind of friendship. And I believe that the spirit that's around us is that we have a relationship with them, some form or other. That the spirit of life. And also has a relationship with us that I don't see as being male or female. I see it as being about joy and beauty and love. I think that we have
1: your impressions about the parenthood of God from a different point of view, the word that in the Hebrew scriptures is translated as loving-kindness is from the Hebrew root word for womb. So, in essence, that God loves us with a loving-kindness is that God loves us with a womb love. What are your impressions of that? Does that hit you any differently than God as Father? can you identify with god loving us with a womb love or have you had that kind of experience
2: well what i'm thinking about when you're talking about womb love there's a functionalness to a womb you know that's where we all started having a conscious memory about what it was like being in the womb is not something that i can put my finger on what i do know is that when you snuggle up in blankets in a big round chair and it's warm and there's and you feel safe that that can be described as womb-like, but I don't really know if that's how I felt when I was in the womb. I also don't know if the womb had anything to do with mother's love because there's some women that have children prove that that exists. I can't prove that it doesn't exist. I don't know that anybody, I mean, I majored in religion, Mark, and I've never found anyone able to prove that God exists. But what I found is that when I act as though there's a higher power, who cares about me? My life goes better. People like me better. I feel better. So I'm going, well, who cares if there's proof or you can prove? it may be one of those things when you deal with spirituality that defies analysis of some kind of theoretical or scientific investigation. It's just not going to work that way. And if, as long as I know that my life goes better, when I make a choice to say, I believe that this is the way the world unfolds, and everything goes better, that's kind of proof in and of itself for me.
1: Well, being the songster that you are, I guess you just couldn't help but put that into a song, could you?
2: Well, the one I think you're talking about, the Tooth Fairy, the Easter Bunny, Santa, and God. And that actually came from another place for me, which was, here I am trying to teach my kids to grow up, tell the truth, and I'm lying to them. I'm telling them there's a little fairy that comes, takes their tooth out from under their pillow and leaves a quarter or a dollar or whatever, depending on your economic bracket of where the neighborhood of the tooth fairy is visiting. Or that Santa comes down and eats the cookies or whatever. And I'm, I'm thinking, what's wrong with this picture? I'm lying to my children and I'm teaching them not to lie, to tell the truth. And on the other hand, I'm going, yeah, but stories are so important. and stuff. So I, I really thought about that a lot. And I realized there's a whole lot of people that believe God exists. And yet I have never heard anybody tell me, well no, God came down, I saw him, we had a talk, and he said, I exist, cut this phone around, go tell people. And so it's really about the power of the stories, about the images that we have in our heads and what we hold, and we get to pick some of those images and stories, the ones that work for us.
1: And what stories do work for you on a spiritual level?
2: What I believe is is that when I hold that there's a higher power.
0: you think it's worth a five. There's an old story
3: almost everyone believes. About the tooth fairy trading money for their teeth.
4: When a story has some spirit that
3: touches Make it true The Easter Bunny leaves an Easter basket by my head. I pig out on jelly beans when I get out of bed Too many chocolate eggs And I start to feel sick and think The Easter Bunny gets these things. Story almost everyone
4: believes About the Easter baskets that the Easter Bunny needs.
3: When a story has some spirit that touches you
4: You can hold it in your heart and make it, make it true, true.
3: his toys. It's amazing he's so quiet he never makes a noise But why live at the North Pole where it's freezing cold all year He could get a place in Malibu go surfing with his deer There's an old story almost everyone believes About how Santa, Santa visits on
4: Christmas, on Christmas.
3: story
4: has some spirit that touches you. You can hold it in your
3: heart and make it true.
4: God should stop by just to say hello, but then that never happened, so how am I supposed to know, I guess I know cause when I stop, and take the time to feel, my life just goes much better, that's how I know God's real, yeah, there's an old story,
3: almost everyone believes. About a God whose love for us never ever leaves When a story has some spirit that touches you You can
4: hold it in your heart
3: and make it true
4: Spirit that touches you, you can hold it in your heart
3: and make it true.
1: That song was The Tooth Fairy, Easter Bunny, Santa, and God. And it's by our guest for today's Song of the Soul, Peter Alsop. You know, Peter, I really appreciate that song, and I take something really positive away from it in the way that it implies that the evolving ways we come to think of the central stories about which we're so passionate, that these stories are valuable, even when we may not literally believe in them anymore in the same way, And yet I'm also aware that there could easily be large numbers of people who would react very indignantly to that song, saying, oh yeah, you just want to put down my God, turn my belief into some kind of stupid myth. Do you get that kind of angry reaction from the audience sometimes?
2: Sometimes when I do a song from a stage, the people hear it as a complete piece, and they go, well, well, I'm not going to say anything to them about it. And other times people will come up and talk to me. So, yes, I do hear things sometimes, not very often, but I've had great discussions with folks, and I try to invite, be inviting and feel like a safe person when newborn by Rosita Perez. It was 1963 and the three-week-old baby was turning blue in the bassinet, very obviously choking. My two-year-old was saying that she was sorry and crying and looking very scared. I removed a piece of ham from the baby's mouth. Her sister had been eating a sandwich and thought it was a good idea to share a little of what she had. For some reason, that reminds me of how I feel around people who are so publicly religious and self-righteous. They insist on force-feeding the rest of us, their sustenance of meat, when our digestive systems can only tolerate milk. (sighs) Maybe that's why we choke on it, too. We are still newborn and need more time to develop, that's all. And it has little to do with calendar age. If they had faith in the source, they would know that the same illuminations that came to them will come to us when and if we need them enough to reach out. God doesn't play favorites.
1: Wow. That is quite a roller coaster of emotions. You know, the baby choking, the well meaning sobbing sibling, the self righteous religious, and the humble newborn religious. You know, she probably gets a more positive, or at least a less outraged, reaction by saying that the we, the non self righteous religious, are the newborns than if she had suggested that the roles were reversed and that the literal-minded religious were the newborns that were in need of maturing.
2: depends on who's listening, doesn't it? People that tend to have a more flexible, accepting version of a lot of different ways that God could be, see the world in a a different way a lot of times than people that say, this is what makes sense to me because it's written down, it's in the Bible, this is it, or it's in the Koran, this is exactly the literalist sort of thing. into it and punishing them for not doing it is not acknowledging the life that's growing and changing and bounding around us and allowing for there to be room for that to manifest itself. I've seen lots of damage done in the name of somebody saying,
1: human interaction is that we are humans dancing with God as our dance leader that there's a whole number of steps that we could be doing like you learn when you're going to do ballroom dancing there's a whole number of steps that you could be doing but unlike square dance it's not codified, it's not shouted out, here's what the rules are rather you develop a kind of intuitive way of moving, of knowing what your partner is doing and communicating to your partner what you're going to do, so that you dance together by this deep kind of mutual knowing that you share. And I imagine that's not an image that works for everyone, but for me, as a folk dancer, as a ballroom dancer, and as an intuitive dancer, that's the kind of image that speaks to me of the openness and creativity of that connection
2: how that would be helpful I, I, I was as you were talking about I was thinking about generally the man leads when they're doing a waltz and the woman's role is to respond well even in a square dance setting it doesn't have to be male or female because you can have two little kids dancing or an old person and a little kid and gender isn't really the issue there's just a it's really to differentiate one or the other it's not really about gender and there's times when you don't know what you're doing and you're the man and the woman's pushing you around you know which is great because you do have to have exactly what you're saying is it's a, an awareness of what's coming from your partner and that's the truest sense of the word partner i think is when there isn't just one who's designated the leader and the other one is a follower and in any kind of long-term relationship my wife and i've been together for 33 years so there are times when she knows what she's doing and i'm just not in a place to be able to even participate i'm just you know whatever i'll do what you need because that's you know, tell me just aim me in the direction i'll go do you want me to now i feed the dog okay and now i'm going to beds, and I'm going, whatever, because I'm just vegetable today. And there's other times that the shoe's on the other foot, and that kind of give and take is something that happens over a long period of time with partners, whether it's with a higher power as a partner, because I think that uh, it isn't always just one direction from God. I think that we learn things, and in our input and who we are at that certain time has something to do with the kind of lessons that get put in front of us.
1: Well, Peter, I think we have to take a break until next week. You've got just too much good music and too many good stories to share with us. This is the end of part one of Peter Alsop's Song of the Soul to be continued next week. Peter Alsop is an educational psychologist. He was a wannabe rock singer. He's a great humorist, a father, a motivational speaker. He's got riches in music all over the map. I invite you to come back next week when Peter Alsop will deliver part 2 of his Song of the Soul. You can hear this program again via my website, which is northernspiritradio.org. And on that site, you can find a list of the music included in this program, other programs, helpful links about our guests. And you can listen to all the programs once again via that website, northernspiritradio.org. Song of the Soul is produced by Mark Helpsmeet. If you'd like to share your Song of the Soul with the listeners of WHYS FM radio, please contact me via my email address, helpsmeet at usa.net. That's H-E-L-P-S-M-E-E-T at usa.net. And please join me Sundays at 11 a.m. for Song of the Soul. You can.